All right. And now that we've revealed the time that the second coming will be here, uh, we'll move on to our class. Okay. I want you to picture something for just a second, uh, just as kind of an analogy. I want you to imagine that you drive up to uh, Glacier National Park, and you get to Glacier National Park, and you really love the sign. You take pictures of the sign, you are enthralled by the sign, you're impressed about how it's constructed, uh, you absolutely love the sign for Glacier National Park. And then you turn around and you go home. <laughs> and, and people ask, and you go, it was a fantastic sign. <laughs> we were just so impressed with Glacier National Park and the sign of Glacier National Park. Well, what a great job the, the Parks Department did on Glacier. And they say, well, what about the rest of that? Oh, no, we saw the sign. <laughs> okay. Um, in a sense, that's what's going to happen here when we talk about the Temple of Herod. They were focused on the sign and missed what the sign was pointing at. Can you imagine that, that there are times when, in fact, it happened to me the other morning. But one of the first things I get greeted with every morning is, is my really obnoxious cat that wants to be fed right now. Okay, so I thought I'd beat him to the punch one day, and I put, I put the cat food in his bowl, and then he's meowing at me, and I'm going, it's there. Your food's right there. And he's staring at me. <laughs> and he's staring at my finger. Uh, no, it's the food there. What? What about your finger? What? You know, okay. And only when I like walk him over and now the finger is like right next to the food that he goes, oh, there's food. <laughs> well, again, for the Jews, there, there was a sense of getting enthralled by the sign and missing what the sign was pointing at. D does that make sense? Yeah. That what was, the purpose of the, what was the purpose of the law and of the temple that administered the ordinances of the law? What was it all pointing at? Jesus. Christ. Absolutely. Towards Jesus. But they were so busy looking at the sign that they missed it when he, was actually, when he actually came. Um, and, and so part of, part of the, the deal here, I, I think we tend to do that uh, in our own study of the scriptures. Every time, and I know you do it, what happens when you find out, our course of study for next year will be the Old Testament. What do you do? <laughs> we love the Old Testament. Okay? Uh, and so, so what do we do with the Old Testament? Well, you see, we, we love the Old Testament because it's like, um, I don't know, Aesop's fables. You need a great moral story. Hop into the Old Testament for a minute. Grab Daniel in the lion's debt. And then get the heck out of there as quickly as you can. <laughs> Do you need something about obedience? Let's go grab Samson and Delilah. We'll get it. Grab it. Get out. Okay. What about prophets? Oh, Amos 3.7. He says there's importance of prophets. Yes. Okay. Let's get back out of there. 
Let's get to modern stuff. Let's get to the, you know, this is what the prophets have said. It's like the Old Testament is like this murky, it's like our attic. We go up into the attic long enough to go, wow, I haven't touched Abraham and Isaac for a long time. Okay, sacrifice. Got it? Okay, put it away. Let's go back to something else. And, and, I, and I see that. Sometimes we even do that in the New Testament. And you know for sure, guys, we are for sure, for sure, for sure doing that with Paul. In Come Follow Me and Gospel Doctrine, where we're going, First uh, Corinthians 12. Okay, it's about the gifts of the Spirit. Got it? Okay, put it back. Now go to something modern. Like we don't even want to go there long enough. We just get in and get out. Okay? Um, and then we're going to go to something that we are more comfortable with. Well, the Old Testament is very much a series for, if, if we don't understand it, we're going to look at it like it's a series of stories and fables. Uh, we can get Job. We've got a little patience thing going on here. Uh, you know, we're just going to do all these things. And then we're done. And when we do that, what are we doing? We're looking at the finger. We're looking at the sign rather than what it was pointed at. D does that make sense? Everything in the Old Testament is like the shaping of an arrow pointing towards this moment right here. Everything about God's dealings with Israel, God's dealings with Israel righteous, God's dealings with Israel wicked. Everything about the idea that sin scatters, righteousness gathers, is in the Old Testament. Everything about the law of Moses was, this, was the arrow pointing directly to Jesus and what happens in the two-week period that we're about to talk about. It was all pointing like a dart. But we get busy cut, getting caught up in the little stories of all of that and miss the bigger picture of where this was all going. And, what, and don't feel so bad about that we do it as Latter-day Saints. The Jews, especially first century, did it in spades. <laughs> they were so focused in living the law that they forgot about what the... They weren't seeing what it was actually directing them to get to. Okay? That... Again, sin scatters, righteousness gathers, and that they were going to be able to do that. So Jesus is trying to say, you're missing it. You're missing it. He's here in the flesh. And all, everything in this magnificent temple and everything that you're doing on a regular basis was all pointing to this moment which is about to occur with me in the garden. Okay? Now, so it's all going to, so we get this, this, all these stories and everything, they, they are all headed like a, a path, and it gets us here, and then we have this experience, and everything that comes after that moment, all through the rest of the New Testament, is commentary and application. And it all rests. Paul is going to say over and over and over, everything about here is about the cross. It all points to the cross. And people still miss it. Okay? So, what we get is a restoration, but a restoration of what? 
What is being restored? We talk, traditionally we say, okay, we restored the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we talk about restoration, we're talking about restoring what, basically? Authority. Authority. Priesthood. We want to say it's about restoring the priesthood. And yet the Book of Mormon says, what was it that was lost? Plain and precious truths. What's being restored here in, in, in modern revelation is actually going back kind of to what Paul and everything was saying. It's a restoration of the plain and precious truths that were lost over time. And where were the plain and precious truths originally taught? Back in those Aesop fables. <laughs> While it was teaching you about here comes Christ and here's what he will look like. And you'll see that in a big way in just a second. Does that make sense? Now, I'm sure that these days we don't get caught up in any of that. Right? Elder Holland, when one goes to the Holy Temple for the first time, <coughs> he or she may be somewhat struck by that experience. Wow, that temple's beautiful. Look at that. I was thinking about that as we were looking at the Nauvoo Temple uh, late on Friday night. Go, wow, is that just amazing. It's, it's beautiful. Our job is to ensure that sac the sacred symbols and revealed rituals, the ceremonial clothing, the visual presentations, never distract, but are rather point towards the Savior, whom we are there to worship. What do, you, what do you think one of the reasons was that, we, that they had to kind of get rid of the videos in the temple? What was the purpose of that? Which Satan do you like better? Oh, I don't know. Not at home. Do you like the Yoda Satan? Do you like the frat boy Satan? I don't know. Which one is the better one? You know, I don't know. I was thinking about that. This isn't my, my really favorite one. I, my other favorite one is that favorite one. Okay, okay. Okay, I like that one better. <laughs> that Eve's a little frumpy. She really is. <laughs> hey, all, get, getting caught up in all of this stuff towards being able to say, wait a minute, are we, are we, are we so caught up on the finger and the sign that we're missing what it's pointing at? The temple is his house. And he should be uppermost in our minds and hearts, the majestic doctrine of Christ pervading our very being, just as it pervades the temple ordinances. From the time we read the inscription from the front door to the very last moment we spend in the building should be about the Savior. What are they serving in the kitchen today? I don't know. Let's we'll, we'll see. Let's we'll go check on the cafeteria. Is it prime rib day? I don't know. We're focused on that. As long as I got the chocolate cake. Yeah, the chocolate cake, yeah. It was the wrong film, but at least they had the chocolate cake. Yeah. Okay. Amid all the wonder we encounter, we, we are to see above else the meaning of Jesus in the temple. So even when we don't understand the ritual and the symbol... We need to be asking some simple questions about why is that there and what is it focusing us towards. 
in, an old, in a New Testament context, in first century Judaism, symbolism wasn't something that they learned. In the first century, Ju- uh, symbolism was something that they did. It was an action. It was, it was something they acted out. It, they, they weren't just going to learn about the sacrifice of the Savior. They're going to they're watch a lamb be butchered in the temple as the blood is running out. It was something that they experienced. And they did it. And they watched it. And it was carved into their life experience. You know, if you're going to talk about a Passover lamb... And you're going to try to teach your kids about that, but they're actually seeing it being slaughtered. That is, that's a different story altogether. Okay, temple would be a lot more. Uh, the, the part of what makes the temple tough is that we are now doing things, and we're used to just being told things. And we go, well, that's kind of weird. I don't know why we're doing that. Okay. All right. So. Everything that's going into this then is is focused on. Um, by the way, whoever whoever constructed the Rome Temple was genius <laughs> with, with, with the plaza because you just get it when the sun goes down, and that is that's pretty impressive. Okay, so. What I, what I started doing and kind of getting ready for this class, I kept finding thing after thing after thing after thing, and I thought, this is going to be like a hundred screen PowerPoint. <laughs> okay, so I thought I would do this just a little bit differently uh, today, because because there there is a context that we need to set up. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to end up talking about things like uh, uh, the takeover of the temple. We're going to talk about the Last Supper. We're going to talk about the trial. We're going to talk about Jesus hung, being hung on a tree and how that might have been literal. It's possible. Okay. Uh, and then, and then uh, resurrection morning and all of those. But you've got to see the context behind kind of what exactly was going on here. So best way to do that is, is to do that. So that's why I asked you to kind of bring your scriptures Okay, we're going to work out of this a lot today. You can follow along. If you've got uh, King James, that works. Uh, I'm going to be working out of Waymans. Uh, those of you who got Wayment, that will help. Okay, we're going to turn to John 10. And we're going to start with verse 22. All right. Verse 22. Uh, now, this is, this is the 90-day countdown. Uh, Jesus will be crucified at Passover. The Feast of Dedication is in the winter. This is about 90 days ahead here. Uh, 22. The Feast of Dedication arrived in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Uh, and Jesus walked in the colonnade of Solomon in the temple. Now, the, the colonnade is the, is the Solomon uh, columns that were on the south side of the temple complex. Every, anybody could come. Anybody could be there. And that's where most of his teaching was. It's a two-story set of colonnades. Uh, and even though, this is really important, 
even though the, the Antonio Fortress, where the Romans had their legion, that, well, they had two sets of troops, Antonio Legion and then in Herod's uh, uh, castle, his palace. Uh, because this was a common place, Roman soldiers would have been present all around inside here. Because if any disturbances are going to happen, especially at holiday time, whether it's dedication or Passover or Sukkot, the Roman soldiers are going to have a pretty good presence right in and out of those colonnades. Okay? So, I want you to picture, everybody's milling around, but I also want you to picture Roman soldiers at certain points, keeping an eye on things. Jesus walked in the colonnade of the Solomon in the temple. Uh, the Jews encircled him and said, and I love this, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us clearly. You keep us thinking, guessing. Now, stop for a second. As a, um, as a Jew, and these leading Jews, when they were wanting, wanting to know if he was the Christ, what exactly were they describing? What are they looking for? A military leader to free them from the Romans and any other oppression. Perfect. Are you going to be this great military leader? Now, if he had said this in Samaria, in Samaria they expected a great teacher, a new rabbi. Okay? But there there's like, are you going to be the military leader who will do what? Throw off the Romans. Throw off the Romans. Oh. Okay? If you're, if you're like, you're one of the legionnaires hanging around, that'll get your attention, won't you? Say what? Are you, uh, okay. That Christ, really? Okay. So, if you're the Christ, tell us clearly. Now, is there a little bit of a trap in there? Yeah, there is. Uh, and he's going to say, I told you, you didn't believe the works I do in the name of the Father. These testify, but if you don't believe, you're not my sheep. My sheep know. And, his, and he would have been there, large crowd. They're all, yeah, they know. And he might even have pointed to them. You don't know, but they do. They, they're hearing my voice. Okay. Now the Roman soldiers would be a little bit more interested. Okay, here's a guy claiming he's got a group of followers. Okay. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and forever they perish not, but no one will seize them from my hand. Now, you can up the ante, though. This is, okay. So, with the soldiers listening, my Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to seize them from his hand. And then this phrase, I and my Father are one. Now, that's pretty safe for the Romans. You want to claim you're God? <laughs> Go right ahead. Who's that an attack on? Caesar. Oh, this is on Jews. Now, well, we're, getting, we're up in the ante here. We're, we're, we're going to get Caesar here in a second. Okay? I and my father are one. And the response by the Jews is to do what? They took up stones to stone him. Yeah. Now we've hit that blasphemy thing, and that's enough. Get the stones. To, we're going to stone you right here. This is, blasphemy is one of those things. You're going to blaspheme in the temple? We're, we're throwing you out of here. Okay? Yeah? So all this time, all through the Old Testament, all this time, 
Jews were looking for a military Yeah, I, I, this is a new King David. <laughs> no, well, in a sense, think about who King David was. Uh, King David was this military leader. He, he, he suppressed all of his enemies. And not only that, he, built, he and his son built the temple. So yeah, he would bring, he would bring the temple, but he's going to be a military leader. But, but like we were talking about last time, they're in this temple. What is this temple missing? The Holy of Holies is empty. What else has not come to this temple that was there at King David's temple? The Shekinah, the, the, the light, the power, the, the present, the literal presence of God. That ain't here. Well, you know what? We probably can't do it while we got these Romans here. So part of the cleansing of the temple is getting rid of anybody who would blaspheme. And then whoever's going to come is going to clear those guys out. But then clear out all of the foreign invaders. Because once we get it cleansed and clean, we can get God back living on his mercy seat. In, and, and then we'll be safe and protected from anybody. Yeah. 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 They've tried to do this a couple of times. Okay. So you're watching him foment here. You, you watch this happen. This is going to be a slowly, slow crescendo, and it's going to come over the next 90 days, and this is where it starts. That's why we're starting here. This this is ultimately pointing towards his death. Um. Okay, so he's going to say in 32, he responded and says, I've shown you many good works for my father. Which one of these works will you stone me for? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. And he says, well, we're not going to stone you for a good work, but for blasphemy because you are a man who claims to be God. You are a man who claims to be God. Now, listen, listen closely here. Jesus answered and said, Is it not written in your law... I said to you, ye are gods. Where is that? What part of the law of Moses says that? Um, I want to show you if I, if I think I can get to it quickly here. Uh, good. Oh, you're not going to be able to read that very well, are you? Stay with me on this. What he just did is pretty funky. <laughs> it is amazing what he just said to them. Now these are good. Now these are. We're going to find out these are Pharisees he's talking to. These aren't Sadducees, because if he's going to talk about in this is part of your law, he's not quoting from the law of Moses. From Exodus. He's quoting from Psalms. Pharisees would include the Psalms in their law. Sadducees would go, hey, it's just the Pentateuch, period. We don't want all the extra stuff. Gets in the way of us hanging out with the Romans. <laughs> okay. So it's the it is so he's saying in your law, part of your law is the Psalms. So of all the things he could have picked, 
He's going to go, well, you're, is it not written in your law? I said, you're God's. Okay. Here it is in Psalms uh, 82. And if you want to, if you want, if you've got your King James, you can actually pull up Psalms 82 because it's a getter. And I'll, I'll, I'll read it because uh, it's going to be hard to read unless you're like right here. And we could, we could spend our entire lesson on this psalm all by itself. In the King James, it says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Is how it starts. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Okay, now, the mighty is translated in, in uh, Hebrew as El. That's the Father is El, Beth El, God. Okay, but he judges among the gods, plural. That's translated as that's Elohim. Okay, so so without getting too complicated on here, here's how this first here's how this first two verses of this goes. God stands in the council of the God, and He judges. He He counsels among the among the gods. This is the council of the gods. This is the pre-existence. This is this is the pre-existent council. He counseled with the other gods, of whom He was the greatest of all. Abraham says He had more intelligence than them all. So, without getting too deep. He just go, he's, he's going right to the heart of this and say, remember in your law, Psalms 82 talks about the God, El, being in the midst of the Elohim. Him is a plural, it's a plural ending for El. Put Him on the end, it's like adding an S. Yeah, it's plural. So here's God standing in the midst of the gods. El in the middle of the Elohim. Oh, nice. Okay. Then he's going to say, um, what, is it, what did God say in the midst of the Elohim? He says, How long will you judge un, un, unjustly? Think about the, the Pharisees standing right there. And show partiality to the wicked. Defend the, depend the, defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the, the poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. Uh, now, specifically as pointed here. And again, they are, they are attacking him. Who are you? Uh, are you the Christ? Uh, I, I, I and my father are one. It says in your law, but to the Pharisees he's going to say, they do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. He's to, these Pharisees are walking in darkness. You guys are walking in darkness. And then he says, I said, ye are gods. You are Elohim. All of you are children of the Most High. But, Pharisees, you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. That's, uh, that's Psalm 82. Whew. He's, you know, the, the Pharisees would know that. I mean, for, them to, for him to be able to say, you're walking in darkness... You're starving the poor. Uh, you're not being righteous. 
And guess what? At one point, we all stood among the Elohim. We were part of the gods. But that's, that's no, that is no small phrase he's decided to hit them with. Um, okay. All right. I said you're gods. Um, and then this. Jesus says in 35, If he called them to gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what, what do you say, he says basically, to the one whom the Father, what's the word? Consecrated. Jesus is claiming himself as the consecrated one. What is Messiah? The anointed one. I am the Messiah. I am the one the Father consecrated. I'm the one that was anointed. Okay? And sent into the world. That sets him off. You speak blasphemy because I said I am the Son of God. Uh, if I don't do the words of God, then don't believe me. But if I do, you're not going to believe me because you don't want to believe it. And understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Now what are they going to do? Then they sought to do what? Arrest him. We're not trying to kill him anymore. Now we're going to arrest him. Why? Why instead of stopping to... Why arrest? If you arrest him, what do you do? probably turn him over to the Romans. Now you're the anointed one. Now you are the king. That's a threat. So, they start to arrest him. Okay. Is that a function of if you can get a group to riot, you can hide a murder? But if you can't get a to riot, you've got to arrest the object of your fight and take him away. Yeah, we got to get him out of here. But the problem that we've got is that Jesus will use the crowds for safety. We can't really stone him here, but you know what? We could arrest him. We're not killing him. We're just going to arrest him and put him on trial to see if what he's saying is true. Hey, Legion, Romans, come over here. Arrest this guy. Okay? Uh, but he escaped out of their hands, 40. And then he went again across the Jordan River. Where does he go? To the place where John first baptized, and he stayed there. One of the things that we sometimes miss in this uh, is um, that there are two Bethanies. If you go back to the, if you go back to when John was first. Baptizing, it says that he was baptizing in Bethany beyond the Jordan. There's two Bethanies. One Bethany is on the other side of the Jordan, which actually puts it in the Decapolis. It puts it on in, under Philip's reign and out of Judea. It's kind of a safe place. Herod can't get him there. That's Philip's. Uh, so it's a safe place. But that's where John... That, so it's actually over here on the other side. Jericho is right here. So it actually would be right over in here. Okay? This is Bethany beyond the Jordan over here. 
where John first starts. Isn't it interesting that he's going to come there? Now, there's another Bethany that is like a 20-minute walk down the Mount of Olives where, where uh, we're going to find out that uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha live. And he's about to come there in just a second to us. But he's going to, after he nearly gets stoned in the temple, he's going to take, rather than go up to Samaria, rather than go up to the Galilee, he's actually going to go out of this area, and he's going to go up here. Why would he do that? Of all places. Any ideas? Where did the ministry start? Starts there. When he went to get baptized by John, where did he go? Bethany, over the Jordan, over the river. This is, he, he's come full circle. He's going to go back up there. I think he's also, and, and this is what I want to emphasize, I guess, today. The public ministry for Jesus just stopped. After two and a half for three years, however long that was, the public ministry just ended. Because they are now actively looking to kill him, and they're actively stalking him, and they're looking for any opportunity to arrest him or stone him, his public, because of what he just said in the temple, in the presence of those priests, his public ministry just ended. It's over. From, that, from the, re the rest of this 90 days, he will be practically in hiding. He has to hide out. And they are at, the intrigue, the movie on this would be fantastic. Where they are honestly trying to find him and arrest him and get him. And he's got to get out of their jurisdiction around here. And he's actually over here, which is actually kind of Gentile land. The Decapolis is more Gentile over here. Okay, it's on the other side of the Galilee. It's under Philip's jurisdiction. He's hiding out. For the next 90 days, he's hiding out. It's that dangerous. It's the whole thing. And I think he's planning on, when is he planning on dying? Passover. That's 90 days away. That's in the spring. So he's got to hide out for the next. So, so what we're going to get here is... Uh, 40, he went uh, again across the Jordan River to the place John first baptized and he stayed there. And many came to him and they said, John did no miracle, but everything that John said concerning this guy is true. And many there believed in him. So even though it's not a public ministry, there's a gathering that is coming and the word is getting out and they're going up to Bethany beyond the Jordan, away from the temple away from those that are searching for him to spend time there. Okay? Alright. Now, I believe that they would have stayed up here until Passover except for the fact that there's one, there's another event that now occurs. What's that event? Verse 1. A certain man was ill. Lazarus from Bethany. From the village of Mary and Martha. Now he's going to point this out. By the way, 
Think about it for the readers. Oh, which Mary is this? It was Mary who anointed the feet, anointed the Lord with ointment and dried his feet with her hair. Her brother uh, Lazarus was ill. Um, okay. Verse 7. Oh, verse 6. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, then he stayed in Bethany for how how long? Two days. Okay. And then afterward he said to to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Let's, Let's go. I know they're after me, but let's cross back over into Judea. The disciples says, Rabbi, the Jews are going to stone you. You're going to go there again. And he says, okay, if, if, and there are 12 hours in the day. We're going to walk in the day. doesn't stumble. Uh, we're going to bring the light to them. And then he said this, and then he said, verse 11, um, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may wake him. Our friend Lazarus. Give you some idea about the relationship of uh, uh, Mary and Lazarus um, to the disciples. This, these, these were no, these were friends. They, these were known people. Okay. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And the disciples said, "Lord, <laughs> I like this. The literal, um, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be well. If he's just kind of sick, he'll be okay." Jesus had spoken about his death, but he thought they had spoken. He was resting in sleep. Then Jesus said to them clearly, Lazarus is dead. Oh. (laughs) Oh. Oh, that's that's different then. Okay. That's different, but that still doesn't make any sense. He's already, there's nothing you can do for him. He's dead. Now, he says, I'm glad I wasn't there, but but uh, you that may believe, let us go to him. Now, I mentioned this in a, uh, a few years ago when we were teaching about this, but, but let me just remind us right here, this moment. If I ask you about uh, the Apostle Thomas, what do we usually call Thomas? Thomas the? Thomas. Doubting Thomas. And he is known forever as Doubting Thomas because of that moment when he doubted. Okay? When we talk about Thomas, there are actually two major moments for Thomas. We always tend to hang on to Thomas on his worst day. <laughs> this is Thomas. Doubting Thomas is Thomas on his worst day. Okay? Look at verse 16. Then Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go that we may die with him. Let us go, that we may die with him. I, how does the King James Version say it? It says it a little differently. What does it say, what does it say in the King James, for those of you following in King James? Does it say the same thing? Okay. Wow! Is that Thomas on his best? Yeah! I know, we, I know he may die. He may get stoned. We will die with him. We'll go. If he's going, we'll go. And, it, it, and 
our lives are in danger, but we'll go anyway. This is Thomas at his best. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Then said Thomas unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. For they feared lest the Jews should take Jesus and put him to death. For as yet they did not understand the power of God. Yeah. So they, they didn't understand the power of God. So when Thomas is actually saying, Let's go and die, he expects to die. We're going to go, we're going to stand with him, they're going to stone Jesus, and they will probably stone us as well. I mean, that's, he, he's, he's ready to do this. I think that is remarkable. That's Thomas on his best day. Just a reminder, how often does the Lord, um, we think about, when we think about our lives and how we're doing or we're sitting in the sacrament, don't we think about us on our Worst day? What's the possibility that the Savior is going to, is going to uh, be with us on our worst day as well? To me, that, that's what, if you're ever wanting a great, uh, if you're ever wanting a great talk, this is a good one. Thomas at his worst, Thomas at his best. This is what Thomas at his best. All right. Now, let me mention one other thing. And I tried to, I've shown this before, but I just want to, to remind you. Uh, and I had the little video that I'd played before, but I wasn't able to get it come, to come up. And I think it's worth noting. Uh, and without the video, I don't want this to be too complicated. Yeah. Question? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. Think and then think about the things that you need to do better. And I thought, oh, I'm always focused on what I need to do better. I didn't think about focusing on things that I've done good too. We tend to want to think about us at our worst. We, we really do. Or sometimes we think about other people at their worst, rather than thinking about ourselves at our best. We're trying our best. We're all broken. We all do the best we can. Um, and we're grateful that the Lord will forget about us at our worst. We repent of those. So, yeah. 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 Uh, it's important. You, you all would have think there might have been something, but this is kind of... This moment, uh, and you're going to watch how this rolls into the, into the Jesus triumphal entry. This is going to be the moment that Jesus shows, not only can I, can I uh, heal a lot of people, um, but I have power over death. That's, that's going to be pretty important. Um, we were laughing at, by the way, we were laughing at the, the singles conference on Saturday morning. That I mentioned, isn't it interesting talk, uh, that um, Jesus is always healing singles? <laughs> He's always healing singles. Uh, but I said the weird part about it is the women were always adulterous and the men were always blind and lame. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm not quite sure what that means, but it just was, you know, they were always struggling, and he's, and he's healing and, and forgiving everybody, but anyway. Um, all right. So, th this next, next little section, I don't want to make a big deal out of it because this gets, it, this gets to be a little bit more technical than you really want to, but I just need you to know that it's out there because it may change the story a little. If you'll go uh, to verse, well, let me just read this, 17. Jesus came and found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, that's the other Bethany, about 15 stadia away, about, you know, a few miles. Many Jews came to Martha and Mary to console them. Then Martha, when she heard that Jesus was coming, met him, but Mary sat in the house. Okay. Uh, there's a uh, there's a recent scholar uh, at Duke just within the last three years that has found a forgery in this in these verses uh, and let, let me tell you what the forgery is it says uh, from a 14th century document it's going to say uh, Mary and Martha came to console them. And then Martha, when she heard Jesus was coming. Okay, That word in verse 20, Martha, when Martha heard. Uh, real quickly, I guess in Greek, it isn't Mary, it's Maria. Maria and Martha. The first three letters are the same. M-A-R. Maria, Martha. Only one letter is different between Maria and Martha. It's an R versus a TH. Yeah. Yeah, that's how in Spanish it's that. Okay. What they found starting in the some, some documents that weren't there previous, but about the 14th century, somebody had come along and took several of the Marias, M-A-R, M-A-R, Ia Maria, and they added a theta, the th. Th. So, in other words, here's here's the here's the shocker. If you read that document without the addition that somebody's trying to turn all the ies into ths, the bottom line is there's no Martha. Here from 17 to 27. It's all Mary. And in fact, they actually they, they took out the word sisters and made it sis the word sister and made it sisters, plural. So what they're really finding is, and this changes the story quite a bit, uh, what happens from 17, this is this is Mary. It's Mary all along, and there's no Martha. We find Martha in Luke, she's definitely in Luke, but she's not in John. She's not in this moment. So the Mary and Martha with the bustling around and, and he, that's there. That's in Luke. That, it doesn't change that one. The forgery is in this one when it comes to the death of Lazarus that it's just Mary. That's what that, that, and there is some controversy around this but I'd say as I was reading over the weekend trying to get a sense of this more and more scholars are beginning to say yeah that was forged. That's obvious. If you look at it um, you can actually see where the IE 
there, there's, a, there's a TH that's kind of been put over the top and they tried to erase the I on there. So, so it really is, so I'm going to kind of put this, for, for the sake of what we're doing today, I, I'm going to do this as just Mary because that seems to be our most current stuff. And it'll sound a little different, okay? Um, 18. Uh, Bethany was near Joseph, about th so, so they they have uh, near Jerusalem. They they're coming out of out of uh, Jordan beyond the sea, beyond the river. They're coming down into Bethany, close to the temple. Here they come. Uh, many G Jews came to console Mary concerning her brother. When Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she met him. And Mary said to Jesus, If you were here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, if you, get, if you ask God for something, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise. Mary said, I know that he will rise in the resurrection. And then Jesus quotes these immortal words. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whosoever believes in me, even if he's dead, will live. All who live and believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? She answered, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who comes into the world. Now that's, that's a moment. That, that is, that's not just, are you the Christ? A military leader that is as powerful a testimony that we get from a woman who understands completely and clearly when we go back to the idea even in Luke that remember Martha's bustling around the house and Mary is sitting at his feet in in Jewish idiom what does it mean to sit at somebody's feet You're, it's what could be like a spouse it's to be a student. Okay, we know that Paul sits at the feet of Gamaliel, the, the the Pharisee. Okay, to sit at somebody's feet is to be a student to this teacher. I'm putting my, I am a disciple to this master. When Mary is washing his feet, when Mary is sitting at his feet listening, and when Mary is saying. To him, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one that comes into the world. That's a disciple. She is very much a disciple and probably traveled with them. That's, she's a, she's a disciple. In what form, we don't know. We want, yeah, our presentism wants to make, there are 12 apostles, you know, and, and, and everybody else is just kind of clingers on. No, I don't, we don't know how many, there were apostles, but there were disciples, there were women that traveled with him everywhere he went. And Mary seems to be that, yeah. So why would they want to put Martha in there? What was the reason? The, 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 she's why would they want to eliminate Martha out there? You know, That's where the... Why was she put in? Martha? They're still debating that. I'll, I'll tell you what the debate is. The debate is, is that in some of the more apocryphal writings, Mary rises to such a level that she almost competes with Peter. And that there was a belief that in some quarters, among a number of scholars, that by 
taking the, the Mary and making her Martha and another Mary, spreading her out over several women, she's not as much of a threat to Peter. I know, it's a, that's why I say it's a, and it's all, it's all speculation. But when you look at the actual documents that have been altered, it's really clear that those were supposed to be Maria, not Martha. So we don't know, other than the fact that this elevates Mary all, all along. She's become much more central to the whole story. So with the geography of this, when Jesus went to Mary, yeah. where Lazarus was, was this the Bethany up in... Nope, nope. This is this is this is the uh, this is the uh, Bethany that's right on the Mount of Olives. Okay. That's why it's dangerous. They've they've been hiding out here uh, over on the other side of Jordan. When Lazarus dies, we're going to pick up everybody, and Thomas goes, we're, "We may die." No, nope, we're going. They all go down. Now they're going to cross back into Judea. They will come right up the back of the Mount of Olives, and they're going to take care of. They're going to take care of this, uh, and uh, but and, and look what happens. Um, this is why this becomes such a critical, a critical deal. After she said this, she went and and uh, called out the teachers here. I'm not quite sure who, who that was. Um, she rose. Jesus had not yet entered the village. Thirty, but he was still in place where Mary had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and were consoling her, when they saw that Mary arose, they followed her, thinking that she went to the tomb. Mary comes to Jesus. If he was here, he wouldn't have died. He sees, when he saw her crying and the Jews gathered with her were crying, he was troubled and moved in, in spirit. Uh, and, and we get this, and here is that moment when Jesus weeps. He knew she was gonna, that Lazarus was going to be uh, brought back from the dead, but he weeps and, and for his love. Uh, now, thirty-eight. He's troubled as he comes to the tomb. Um, he says, "Remove it." Uh, Mary says, "There's already a stench. He's been dead for four days." Um, they remove this tomb. Jesus lifts up his eyes and says, uh, Father, I'm glad that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Uh, but because of the, verse 42, because of what? The crowd, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. We have, sometimes we have this sense of like, here's, here's Mary and, and we thought Martha and it's just kind of this little private thing that's happening at the tomb with Lazarus. They have come back into town. And as soon as the word has come that Jesus has come into Bethany, crowds are gathering. Massive amounts of crowds are gathering. This was done in a very public setting um, in, among these these. Uh, Tombs and and the, the limestone caves that are up kind of around the Mount of Olives are, are real present here. There's actually some. We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. M number of tombs right next to the temple site for the rich, and they, but they're all caves like this, so they're close by. Okay. Um, so was this such a public event because it was in 
part of tended to leave the Jewish leaders without excuse? I think so, but even, even that, it was just flat-out organic. I mean, people were hearing him. They'd heard him in the temple. They'd been following him. They were waiting. Um, and and, and this, this uprising, everywhere Jesus goes now, they are just showing up. Uh, now, it is a protection, by the way. It works really well because you're not going to be able to kind of haul him off in front of this crowd. They don't want to get the crowd really mad, but yeah. Part of it, too, is the reputation. His word, the word is getting out. Yeah. In a huge way. And so people are seeking and thronging to him to witness and to see and maybe even... Yeah. And remember, when we talk, ne when we talk next week, so I don't think we're going to get there today, um, that, that when he leaves, when he leaves the little village of Ephraim where he's about to go to afterwards, because he can't go back, uh, when he gets done here, he can't go back to Jericho, because the word's out. He goes to another place. He goes to Ephraim. Then from Ephraim, he's going to cross down the back road and he's going to come right through Jericho. And as he's coming through Jericho that Saturday before, this massive crowd is walking with him. And that's when Bartimaeus, is, the blind man, is standing off there and he goes, wow, there's a crowd coming. Who are all these people? Well, it's Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you know, son of David, save me. And then as they're coming through, even uh, Zacchaeus has got to climb up in a sycamore tree to be able to see because the crowd, even coming out of Ephraim and through, this is the, 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 there's this public swelling that is starting to happen here that makes him so powerful. And it's why he's able to take out over the temple in the next, that last week. There, he just, the popular support is here. For however they see him, and this moment will cement it, for sure. It does. And, and, you, and you need to see that this is really, the pre, in some ways, the precursor to his death. Because um, he, he's troubled. Uh, the crowd is here. Uh, he sees this. He cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died uh, came forth. His hands and feet were bound in linen cloth. Remember, in those... And the, the, the death, and we'll talk about this with Jesus' death as well. Remember, they would take the body and they put it inside kind of the, the, the cave and put his bones there, put his body there, and then it would rot for about a year. And then when they, they would go back in when the body had completely decayed, and then they're going to take the bones and they put them with the bones of their fathers into more of a common area. Uh, put him with the bones of their fathers, but he, but his Lazarus' body had just kind of been laid on a on a flat place to begin its decaying process. Okay. Um, feet are bound with linen cloth. Uh, okay. Jesus says, "Unwrap him and let him go." Now, think about the moment, and in, in the the entire crowd is watching this moment. Think about the, the, the noise that goes up when Lazarus comes out. I mean, this beats any Halloween kind of thing that you might <laughs> think about. This is unbelievable. Now, the next few lines here are really kind of important. 45. Then when then many of the Jews who came to Mary, when they saw what was done, believed in him. If you had any doubts... 
This man has power over life and death. Think about what a great military leader that would be. People die off. We already know from the feeding of the 5,000, he can feed them. He can organize them. Now if they die, he can bring them back. This is King David, Elijah, Moses, all wrapped into one guy. This, this is unbelievable, this guy. And uh, so that's what I'm saying. Many of the Jews who were kind of thinking about it, when they saw what was done, they believed him. Some of them, though, weren't there as disciples. Some of them were there as spies. Some, yeah. Just real quick. So when we look at 45, yeah. do you think Martha would have been there? She could be. I, w- I would guess that Martha was there. Right. I would think that Martha was there. Um, but because she, there, cause there wasn't, Luke is full of Martha, and there's no forgery stuff in, in Luke. We know Martha's the sister. We know she's there. I think Martha's there as, as well. Right. But the, but the main words that are being spoken in, in all of this, we think, are, are now Mary. Okay? Yeah, but if there was no Martha, then they knew. Oh, no, she's there. She's there. She just, she just got added into... They're trying to add her into John, I think. Into this story. Into this story, right. She's still, she's still fixing the dinner after, yeah. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> hey! I'm uh, a little confused on the timeline. Which happened first? The raising of Lazarus or Christ saying that the temple could be torn down and raised back up in three days? But I think this is absolutely tied to that. Well, it is. This, this comes first. Okay, that's what I was Th- this is first. This is ahead of Matthew 24. Okay? Because um, not, not only can I raise Lazarus' thing, but my body will also be torn down in three days and brought back up. Yeah, and right. It says, I am the resurrection. Yeah, exactly. Okay, some of them... Verse 46, some of them went to, the, uh, went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall for that conversation? You cannot believe what he just did. <laughs> really? Lazarus has been dead for four days. And he came, really? There's got to be a trick here. I mean, if you're a Pharisee, it's like, not only is this, this guy's really good, he's a conjurer, and he's got help. He's got the only way this could happen is that Lazarus wasn't really dead and this is really an elaborate stunt. Yeah. Really an elaborate stunt. So my understanding is the Jews had a, a belief that the Spirit hung around for about three, three days. days. So maybe waiting until four days made it even more powerful because the Spirit was yeah, and that is why he waits four days because any, any idea about the Spirit, Spirit would now be gone. There's no way. And the only way, again, for the Pharisees is he had to be faking all along. He's got to be lying there inside a tomb for four days, not moving. Okay? So there, that's his problem. Now, um, what should we do? Because this man does many miracles. 48, if we leave him to continue this, everyone will believe him and what? The Romans will come and take this place and our nation. They're going to claim, 
Jesus is now a threat not just to our religion, he's a threat to our nationality. And if, and if we're going to raise all this up and all these people are going to believe, this will cause a rebellion that will cause the Romans to come down with a heavy hand and wipe us out. Does that ever happen? Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. 30 years later. When we get to 66 AD and the poor rise up, the first thing they do is flood into the temple and burn all of the temple debt records. Uh, I mean, there in 66 AD, when the zealots kick in, that's a very real possibility. So he's not, his fear isn't that far unfounded when he watches how big the popular support is. If we leave him to continue like this, everyone will believe him, and the Romans will come and take this place. One of them, Caiaphas, who was the priest that, high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You do not understand. Now, in here, you almost have to hear the words of Tom, Governor Thomas Ford talking about Joseph Smith because he said the same thing about Joseph Smith at Carthage. You do not understand that it's better that one man might die for the people than for the entire nation to be destroyed. So the rationality would be we're going to save the people by having this man killed. Well, in a sense, that's sort of true, right? This man needs to die to save the people. The irony of that is just crazy. We'll let the Romans kill him and that will save the people. Um, yes. <laughs> that's, that's how that will work. Okay. He did not say this on, the own, on his own, but being high priest, he prophesied that Jesus was about to die for the nation. Uh, not for the nation alone, but to gather the children of Israel who were scattered abroad. Wow. Yeah, see. Um, and from that day, verse 53, from that day they planned how they might kill him. 54. Then Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but from there went to a place in the desert to a village called Ephraim. And Ephraim is just up, the, up here. So rather than go around here, He's going to come up here. Okay? Where they weren't expecting him to go. Everybody knew by now where he, where he is. We could still maybe send somebody in there to go get him. We're going to go to Ephraim. And by the way, I don't think he goes alone. Um, or he stayed with his um, Hop over for just a second. Uh, to chat, In chapter 12, I want you to hop over 12 to verse 9. This is after he goes away and then he's going to come back uh, just in that, in that uh, couple of days at Passover week. But look at this. When the large crowd from Judea learned that he was back in, Bethlehem, back in Bethany, they came not because of Jesus only, but so that they might see what? Lazarus. Whom he raised from the dead. So what do you do? The chief priests counseled how they might do what? Kill Lazarus. Because many Judeans went away and believed in Jesus because of Lazarus. My own private belief is that if, if, they, if they're going to have to, if they think 
Lazarus was faking this or part of the, part of the thing. And Jesus is then going to go away to Ephraim. He's now going to turn around and leave. He can't stay. He's got to get back out of town. Remember, he's still kind of under hiding. You think Mary and Lazarus and Martha can kind of hang her out in Bethany? No. More than likely, they had to go with him. I think they would have gone up as well. The simple solution for the Jews is kill Lazarus again. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, he may have to come back to, or at the very least, we can show his body and go. No, it really didn't take. Yeah. He really, he he really did die. This was some actor or something wrapped up. Uh, but if Lazarus is walking around and everybody knows that he's Lazarus, I mean, um, who who's the um, in John three? Who who's the the man that's asking about uh, baptism and? Do you have to be born again? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. There are a number of scholars that believe that this is Nicodemus's family. That there's a chance that Lazarus and Mary and Martha are of the Nicodemus family. Or, or maybe of Joseph of Arimathea. But it's a wealthy, if, if you're going to have a, a house up in Bethany on top of Mount Olives, you've got some money. This is a, this is a wealthy area. Okay. So, anyway... So kind of, kind of putting this together then, and, and we'll, kind of, we'll kind of wrap down from here. Um, you need to understand that from, from this moment, not only is Jesus in hiding, they are actively trying to kill Jesus, but now they are also actively trying to find and kill Lazarus. And next week when we talk about the triumphal entry into into the temple environs and then the takeover of the temple. Watch where Laz- what, what role Lazarus plays in that. That's in the next chapter. Okay, questions? Well, but he wasn't resurrected. Remember, Lazarus wasn't resurrected. He was just raised from the dead. He doesn't come back with a perfect body. Uh, but he is a walking advertisement for the fact that this man has power over death. That's Lazarus is, it'd be interesting to know what happened to Lazarus after the crucifixion and and all that because I just don't think Lazarus could stay in Bethany after that. I I, I really don't. So, Uh, okay. Any final comments on this? I know, a lot of history, but I, I needed you to see the whole thing in context because it sets up the events. This is what, what, what is about to happen here. Uh, we're going to talk about it next week. What, what's about to happen is this crowning moment in, in history. Everything is pointing like a dagger to this target. And it's the moment where God reclaims his temple and he becomes the temple. Yeah. You're talking about the Old Testament and the plain and precious parts that have been removed. I, I wondered on that for the longest time until I came to the conclusion that in the plan of salvation, you've got a creation, a fall, and a redemption. And the part that's been removed from the Old Testament is the redemption. Yeah. You've got Satan's plan, a creation and a fall with no redemption. And that's 
To me, that is so simple to see now that the plain and precious part is the redemption. And they tried to remove every yes. to the redemption. That's why you can't see Jesus quite so clearly. But he's woven so intimately into everything in the Old Testament that you can't miss it. And yeah, it, it is there. As, as we were, last night as we were kind of driving back from uh, Nauvoo, Cindy and I had this long discussion about, we were reading the story of uh, Boaz and Ruth and Naomi, and, I, and it's like everything points like a dagger to the Savior. It's just going right there. And we spent the longest time trying to figure out, okay, who's, who's, who's uh, Jehovah in this story? Who is Israel? And what exactly is a Gentile doing saving Judah, you know, if, you know and, and who plays what role? Which is kind of a fun thing to do, and, and we, we came up with our ideas about it. But if you begin to look at everything happening in the Old Testament as pointing towards this moment, this week in Jerusalem, now you begin to see that everything fits. Everything that Abraham did, everything that Noah did, everything that Jacob the exile, the exodus, uh, the, the destructions, Jeremiah, Babylon, it's all heading right to this moment. And, and so that's why I say, if you start to see them in that context, you start to see, I'm learning about Christ in every page in the Old Testament because it is the larger covenant made to Israel by Jehovah their God and how he would redeem them from their exile and how that works so pretty cool stuff and it all comes together right now so okay so, so every reference about the gathering in the old testament is all about redemption it's all about redemption and it's all about the reconciliation of christ to his people every single every single one about that so uh bury my testimony that this this is the moment this is there's so much power here uh and as we as we then, uh, in, in, in preparation for next week, uh, take a close look then at uh, John uh, 12. So we get the anointing, uh, and we're going to get the triumphal entry, and then we're going to get uh, the cleansing of the temple and, that, and, and the reason that that needed to happen. Um, bear my testimony that it's true, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.